Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, we're going to talk about expectations, where they come from, how they motivate us, and how they blow our self-esteem, and how to fix them. We all have them. They're all put upon us from the time we were born until the time that we die. But how do we manage those? How do we stop being upset when we fail to meet them? The good news is there is a method for helping us to understand the basis of expectations, how to work with them, and how to help us manage them in our daily life without being overwhelmed. Stay tuned as we talk to an author and an improv performer who will help us understand those secrets to a happier and healthier life. I'm your host, Michael Hirsch, and this is The Thing About What to Expect When Having Expectations. My guest in this episode is Ben Winter. He's an author, a speaker, an actor, an improvenist, entrepreneur, traveler, and father, and he's much more. He's flown an airplane on his own. He's scuba dived in the Galapagos. He's viewed the animals of Tanzania up close and personal. And he's traveled all over the world with a six-month-old child in tow. Ben has performed and teaches improv for over a decade. He's acted in several plays even a movie. He loves to explore, especially physical places around the world, as well as the mind. He's written a book about expectations and the use of improv to help us to manage them and overcome them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the show, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it. Uh, what an interesting, diverse background you have. I know it's really weird hearing it come out of somebody else's mouth because it's like, wow, I really have done a lot of things in my life. You no, know, it's, it's, well, that's what life's all about, right? We should all enjoy life a little bit more and get to experience the many things that it has to offer. Sometimes it, uh, part of my program, one more thing before you go, is people not getting to say or do what they wanted to do before it was too late. So it's a good thing you did all that. Let's unfold your story, if you don't mind. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and I am still in Denver, Colorado. So I haven't haven't really moved too far away. You know, I, like I said, I, I'd like to explore the world, but I always find my way back here. So well, I miss Colorado. I grew up in Colorado. That's my home state. I live in Arizona now, and uh, I, we used to live in Colorado Springs. I grew up in Colorado Springs. I only bring that up because we now have that in common, Colorado. Uh, my kid, we moved to Woodland Park. <laughs> lived in Woodland Park for like 15 years before we moved here. I was a cop in the Springs area, and uh, I uh, I miss Colorado. Miss the trees. Not a lot of trees here, but there's definitely fewer down there. Well, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> the thing with uh, here, they go, "Oh, we have trees. We have mountains." It's like, well, these are baby mountains, and these aren't real trees. <laughs> the real trees are the evergreens <laughs> and the the big trees. What was your family like? Yeah. A uh, good family, very supportive, caring. Um, yeah, my parents are still around, so I'm grateful for that. And you know, they're they're enjoying being grandparents. And I, I honestly, I feel like they're better grandparents than they were parents. But you know, second time around, you don't have as many responsibilities. You can just kind of play. <laughs> so I, I kind of get it. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's it kind of works. It works to a benefit. You have any brothers, sisters? Yeah, I have an older brother who lives out in California and. He's doing um, some amazing film work. He's in the uh, 
post-production world out there. So very cool. He's had his name in a lot of big movies. It's it's pretty impressive and fun to watch. That's pretty cool. Uh, I uh, we have that in common. My kids live in California and they're and they're in the entertainment industry uh, themselves. Hey, there you go. So small world, <laughs> eh? Small world. Oh, did you go to university? I did. I went to Northern Colorado. I I didn't have the grades to get into CU, so <laughs> I went to the smaller school up in Northern Colorado. This works. What'd yeah, you study? It was a business degree, and. There was kind of an emphasis in the computer world, um, and this was all kind of before the the dot com crash in two thousand. So you know, I was I was expecting to get out. Of, speaking of expectations, I was expecting to get out of college and having a nice paying cushy job waiting for me, just because there were so many of them and everything crashed right before I graduated. So yeah, it's <laughs> go figure. It's uh kind of throws a little wrench in the in the forward momentum. Indeed, it did. Do you have any other uh, aspirations about what you wanted to be when you grew up, other other than into that? You know, I keep thinking back when anybody's like, "What did you want to be when you grew up?" And I wanted to be so many different things. And unfortunately, Tie Fighters don't exist yet, and <laughs> the Star Wars universe doesn't exist here. So um, it's kind of hard to be a Tie Fighter pilot. You know? Oh, absolutely! <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm still struggling with that myself. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, so like it didn't come up quick enough. Think about quick. And I grew up with Star Trek too. So, I mean, and theoretically, theoretically, when you look at this little computer in my hand, you know, communicator on my wrist, uh, we we're living Star (laughs) Trek just a little bit, just a little, yeah. And with uh, who is it, Bezos and uh, well, other millionaires and the billionaires are going to space. So eventually, we might get there. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. So I'm writing a sci-fi novel. And because sci-fi is kind of my my favorite genre to read. And there's a common theme amongst all futuristic space exploration things is that it's governments against corporations. And That's interesting. As we're seeing, corporations are faster at getting to space than our government is. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and NASA's even like sending stuff to SpaceX to send it into space because they're faster and more efficient. And it's like, well... It's not going to be the government that colonizes space. It's going to be corporations that do it. So. And that's, well, wow, that's and that's unfortunate. Uh, that's wow. I haven't thought about it that way. Other than, I mean, watching it, you know, I'm unfold. I watched the land. This gives my age away a little bit. I watched the the first landing on the moon. I watched the first uh, um, astronaut that circled the Earth on TV. I watched all of that evolve into uh, the space shuttle, you know, and then the space shuttle. Back to rockets, actually, which is kind of strange. But what you just said kind of uh, opened my eyes to something kind of different. You having corporations to um, kind of take over space. That's, uh, I mean, based on how the how things are going, I think SpaceX will reach Mars with people before NASA does. So if that proves anything, that that's that's just the first step in operations. Kind of taking over out you, uh, speaking <laughs> of writing you've written a lot of books had you have you always wanted to be an author a writer you know it's funny if you would have told me five years ago um well actually it's been long enough now maybe 10 years ago um that i would have published a book let alone several <laughs> i would have said you're crazy i don't even like reading <laughs> um but yeah it i was i got divorced about seven years ago now i think and it was right about that time that i really started getting into reading and figured out that my genre is is sci-fi and um but that obviously doesn't affect writing uh 
personal growth right. books and self-help books, which is what I've ma- mainly written up to this point. Uh, but that all came from also the same point in time where I learned more about who I am and what I wanted to do, which was really to kind of teach improv to the masses because improv had been so integral in my life and making life easier and more fun. So I thought, Hey, let me teach this to like corporations for team building and groups of people for relationships and for so many different things. Yeah. That's, and so that's where the book, the first books came out of. It's really interesting. The perspective of using improv, um, to help, yeah. daily activities or work activities, how that incorporates that. Because everything, when we think of improv, you think of a comedy routine where they say, you know, we want you to be this and doing that and saying this, and then they create something out of it. So how, how does that principle play into helping people like in work life or daily life? Yeah. So if you think of it in terms of what do we do on a daily basis, we improvise. We, you know, we we don't know how our day is going to look. We don't know who we're going to run into, what conversations we're going to have. And it's, so it's all improvised. And what most people don't realize when they watch those comedy shows with improv, uh, the most common is whose line is it anyway, uh, you'll see them all performing. And if you if you know the rules of improv, you'll see that they're following those rules of improv. And if you've ever seen a bad improv show, and it's probably at like a local theater, but it's really bad and you're just like, I don't know what's happening. This is uncomfortable. It's painful. It's probably because somebody wasn't following the rules of improv on stage. Might have been multiple people not following those rules. Uh, But what I found is that when I follow the rules of improv, I have a better, more productive and fulfilled day. And when the people around me are also following the rules of improv, we just have a lot more fun in general. Um, Communication increases, negativity decreases, um, productivity increases. Um, People feel more valued when you're in a group and everybody's doing improv. And it's uh, it's an amazing tool to learn and to teach. And it's, it's just very vital that everybody, A, realize their rules to improv. And once you know those rules, you're going to have an easier time at life. That's an interesting approach. A great principle, I think. Um, adaptation. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but adaptation is a key to uh, success in just about every aspect of your life. You need to learn to kind of uh, switch or change or adapt to something. Yeah. And that sometimes that adaptation is moment by moment by moment. So (laughs) it's not like, oh, today I have to adapt to the fact that it's raining. It's, oh, I'm starting this new conversation with somebody I've never talked to before. I need to adapt. As they say something else, I have to adapt to that and so on. My career in law enforcement um, taught that to us. You, You have to adapt on an instantaneous basis every day. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> unique. <laughs> That's what some people hold different discussion. But um, you know, armchair quarterbacks when they see a situation go down somewhere, they just don't understand what led up to it, and don't understand what transpired prior to it. Don't understand. You know, there's always extra things that have to take place. Extra things that show up, and it's crazy. But hey, life is good still. So when did you start traveling? Uh, wow. Probably in my early twenties, I started uh, traveling and, um, somebody I was dating at the time wanted to go to Tanzania and I was just like, uh, I don't think you should go by yourself. <laughs> She's like, you want to go with? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll go. 
So I went to Tanzania just because I didn't want my girlfriend going alone. Well, <laughs> but it turned out to be an amazing adventure. So whatever. Yeah, that would. I mean, I've never been to Tanzania, but the I, I if you saw the animals there. Those are very unique, and it's still an amazing journey. I mean, different culture, different side of the Absolutely. world. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, if, and I have to ask you about this because I have a passion for flying. How'd you fly a plane by yourself? Well, I decided at some point when I was doing a lot of personal growth work that I wanted to fly a plane on my own. And this is this is a testament to be careful what you ask for, because I never said that I wanted to get my pilot's license, <laughs> right? I just wanted to fly it on my own. So I went ahead and took pilot uh, or flight training. And, you know, I was up there with my instructor. I was doing all these classes and everything. And, you know, we're flying around one day and he says, all right, let's go back. And I was like, well, that was a short day. We land, we pull off to the side. He says, stop the plane. I stopped the plane. He gets out and he's like, all right, go take a run. And I was like, "Uh, excuse me, you want me to go fly a plane on my own right now? (laughs) It was like the most thrilling and scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And, you know, taking off on an airplane is easy enough. Flying around in in the air is super easy when you're flying a Cessna. Those things practically crash proof um or especially stall proof i could barely ever get that thing to stall and he's always like stall the plane i was like i don't want to (laughs) but anyway coming in for the landing it's like okay he's not here anymore i it's me in this runway if i don't land it i'm dead it's like there's no other choice here and i did and it was it was amazing it was a thrilling thrilling thing uh, but yeah, I never did get that pilot's license. But at the same time, had I gotten it, it would have already expired by now because it's a very expensive hobby. To very keep expensive. Up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had a friend of mine. That I went up with him numerous times. He was with the fire department back in Colorado Springs, actually. And I used to go up with him. And the first time I went up with him, um, he didn't tell me he was going to stall the plane. And yeah, <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> he just stalled it and went. I went, What? wait a minute, what? <laughs> Uh, the engine is not What's running. What's all these noises going on? <laughs> he says, oh, didn't I tell you yes. we're practicing stalls? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> it was kind of a, it was a new experience. <laughs> yeah, very interesting, actually. So from there, you went, uh, uh, you did scuba diving and you know, th- another passion that I kind of wanted to try at one time, but never got around to doing that. See, so you had an expectation of, with all of that, you had an expectation of wanting to learn things and you implemented that did you did you understand the whole process that you created at that time, or did you come to that realization later? You you did okay. your traveling. You had some personal growth. Um, you got married. You have a child. You got divorced. Mm-hmm. You're obviously a parent, a co-parent of somebody else. At what point did you realize that? expectations may or may not be holding us back and how they play a role in our success or our failure. Ah, okay. I'm following you now. So in, in my teachings of improv, there's a rule that I go over, which is called be specific. And on stage, if somebody walks out and says, Hey, how are you? There's nothing to work with for the other actor, Mm -hmm. for anybody on stage. Nobody has any direction whatsoever. But if you come out and say, hi mom, how was your day? You at least know that this is now a child and mother on stage. It's it's a little bit more specific, but it's not really setting the stage yet. But if the other person adds a bunch of detail, adds more specificity to it, they might say, don't hi, mommy, you spilled paint in the garage and I'm upset with you. 
Well, now we know what this scene is about. It can go many different places, but everybody on stage knows what's happening. The audience knows what's happening. And it was established very quickly. So what I would say when I was teaching this is that the only reason anybody gets upset is because an expectation hasn't been met. And expectations are us being specific about what we want or need. And sometimes we don't know that we have an expectation until it's going unmet. And that just comes from our, our past and being and how we grew up and how we expect the world to work. So when I came up with that, I was like, okay, that saying works. It makes sense. Uh, but it doesn't solve any problem other than to just tell people, be specific about what you say you want. So I sat down with that and uh, I put like, you're upset on a whiteboard. And I decided, let's solve this using expectations. And so the first question I asked myself and on the whiteboard, I said, did you know you had this expectation? Because that's the first thing that we have to understand is sometimes we get upset with somebody else. and We didn't even know we had the expectation of them doing something until they're not doing it. And then we're upset with them. But even even we didn't know what the expectation, so how could they? And so right there, you're almost immediately able to stop yourself if you didn't even know you had the expectation in the first place. Um, but from there, it, it asks other questions like, have you shared this expectation? Because a lot of times we're very afraid to share those expectations with other people because what if we get rejected? You know, what if they say no? What if they think we're in, an idiot for having this expectation or whatever it might be? We have these fears of rejection going on. And sometimes the expectations that we have are completely unreasonable. You know, I always talk about traffic. You know, my expectations of how traffic should be and how people should drive is completely unreasonable because in no way, shape or form can I have a conversation with everybody on the road and have us all come up with the same way of doing everything. I mean, there's different vehicles, there's, there's different horsepowers, there's different speeds and, uh, you know, people have different interpretations of the law which I'm sure you've seen plenty of people saying, well, I thought I could bend it just a little bit more than you think I should, right? We have, ra we have um, race drivers and we have grandmas in, in yeah, any, exactly. anywhere in and between. Exactly. So, you know, and I've had stuff in my back seat that I didn't want falling over. So I've, dr I've driven really, really slow and careful because I didn't want it to fall over. So when that other person is on the road, I, I now have to like tell myself like they might be carrying something fragile. And so I just have to let them do that. Um, you know, and, and so instead of being upset the entire time I was in traffic, it would be now it's like five or 10 seconds, you know, because then I remind myself, okay, just let it go. It's all good. And through this flowchart, I really was able to calm myself down more often. And if I'm not upset as much, then I'm the opposite of upset. I'm, you know, happy or content or, you know, excited, whatever it might be. And I'm one of those types of people that doesn't like coming up with an issue without also having a solution to that issue. Because I just feel like there's too many people complaining about what's right. wrong in the world and not enough people doing anything about it. So, yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's, you know, it's, I think we grew up with expectations from not only ourselves, but from other people. You know, our parents expect us to get good grades. You know, your uh, parents expect you to be good, uh, a good child, a good teenager, a good adult. You expect yourself, you, to be a good person, a good parent, a good father, a good mother, a good brother, a good sister. We all set expectations on ourselves, but society also puts expectations on us. How do we balance mm -hmm. all those expectations? So the, the beautiful thing is the flowchart that I've come up with, it, it takes the moment in time of you being upset as the trigger point. And I think that's okay. As long as we recognize that when we're upset, we have a choice. We have something that we can possibly learn from. And the benefit of practicing that over and over and over 
is that you start to catch yourself before you even get to the point of being upset. And so when we don't even know that we have these expectations from how we grew up, how society wanted us to be, what our parents wanted from us, you know, I often use the example of a, a parent, a new parent. They're they're talking to their child, their child does something they don't want, and they start, you know, telling them like, hey, don't do that, or you know, whatever it might be, whatever words come out of their mouth, they're like, I just sounded like my mom. And I swore I would never sound like my mom, right? You know, so many people are like, I will never be like my parents, except then they have a child and then they're exactly like their parents, um, unless they make a conscious choice to do something different. And that, again, it's just your expectations of how to parent are be are based on how you were parented. And, you know, in today's world, that's very difficult because you know, I grew up without the internet. I grew up without, you know, cell phones. I have a whole new set of challenges yeah. to deal with that I've never been exposed to. So fortunately, uh, you know, I don't have that many expectations on that. Now, my with grades and everything and doing well in school, I definitely want to do something different than what my parents did with me. And... So I'm consciously making a choice every time that my child mm -hmm. brings up, you know, an assignment or a grade or something like that is like, how do I want to respond? Because, you know, if I only focus on the bad grades and not the good grades, then that's where the attention is, is on the bad grades instead of the good ones. And, you know, there's a balance in there of like, you know, how do you feel about it? Because if I empower my son to want to do better, then he's going to do better. If it's that I want him to do better, you know, he might or might not. So that's where I, I'm making those those efforts. Yeah, and yeah. that's a good thing. I think that, um, you know, I, I, I'm in the same boat as you. You know, we all think we all grow up. And I, I notice that in my personal life as well as in my professional life, you know, our children are the reflection of us. And we have a choice to either present a good reflection for them to build upon and take those tools that we provide them to help them grow and learn and become a, a better person. Uh, I know that there are things that I do as a parent that I know that no disrespect, both my parents are deceased, so I'll say no disrespect in case you're listening. Don't want to get struck by lightning, <laughs> but I mean it. You know, th there are things that my parents had done in, in my childhood that I said, John, I'll never do that with my children, you know, kind of a thing. And I've learned that. And sometimes I have to catch myself, like you just said earlier. Sometimes I have to catch myself and say, well, wait a minute, I'm just acting just like my dad or just like my mother. And I really got to stop that and make a concerted choice to not do that again, you know, from that perspective. And I, I like what you said, empower your child to do better. Don't demand, don't require, don't expect, empower them to make their decision to be better, or to, to do better. That's a very good thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm striving for because... I feel like what my parents did, it, it just wasn't, you know, there was no incentive for me unless I created it myself to do better. Like, and, and I'm not talking about like get straight A's right. and get a thousand dollars or, you know, something stupid like that. Um, although that might motivate myself <laughs> at this point, but, but anyway, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's like, I feel like they could have done differently. They could have done better, but at the same time, I also have to recognize they did what they felt was right at the time. Right. They did the best that they could with the information they had. They did it based on how they were parented, you know, and that, that's just each generation. It's the same thing. And you learn from your past and how you were, how it was done for you and so on. And, and 
you know, secret family recipes. It's, there's nothing secret about it. It's just that's how the family did it for generation after generation. And it's just different than the norm. I agree with you in, in that regard, even as uh, in my old line of business. Uh, I worked at Domestic Violence Task Force for about four years, and we were specific to domestic violence, which included not just adults, you know, husband, wife, children, because they're part of that mix all the way around. And a lot of the issues that we saw were the demand for the, let me make sure I do this correctly, the father or the mother was demanding that the child act a specific way because that's the way they act and that's the way their parents acted and that's what they're supposed to do. Mm. That makes sense? Yeah. I mean, it's for a lot of people, it really is so subconscious that they don't even realize what they're doing or saying. Yeah. And, you know, for there's a lot of things where that's totally okay. You know, on, on a subconscious basis, we learn uh, language. Yeah. We learn how to use a fork and knife and spoon. We learn how to tie our shoes and then we never have to think about it again. And so that autopilot, that, that programming works in a lot of ways, but it can also be a very big detriment in a lot of ways. And that's where we get to make those conscious choices and choose to do something. Different. So do you think um, we all set goals for ourselves? You know, um, yeah, I think that goal setting, in my opinion, is a positive thing because you need to set a goal to be able to reach a pinnacle that allows you the satisfaction of accomplishment. From my, from my perspective, I think that goal setting helps you to determine and strategize how you're going to complete a task or something like that. How, how do expectations play into goal setting? Yeah, so goal setting and expectations are very interesting in how you view goals sometimes is your experience from your past, which means you have expectations of goals, such as, you know, every time I set a goal, I never get it, or I always attain my goals. You know, then you've put on an expectation around goals in general. Um, so if you never reach your goals and you have an expectation of never reaching goals, why would you bother setting goals? You're not going to. You're just going to do your thing on a daily basis and you're probably not going to get what you want. And if you're always getting your goals, that one time that you don't, it's going to be the most detrimental thing ever. Right. Or perhaps you set your goals so low and so easy that they're just simply attainable. And again, you're not necessarily getting what you want. Goals are a tricky thing because you want to stretch yourself, but you don't want to put your you don't want to set yourself up for failure. And, you know, if you're new to goals or you've never gotten your goals before, that's going to take a lot of extra effort because you now have to think, like, what can I set that I know I'm going to get but still is going to make me work for it? And if you're always getting your goals, now's the time to say, mm, how can I stretch myself so it's a little bit harder to get, yet I can still get it? Uh, because maybe right. instead of, you know, getting 10 yards, I get 20 yards or whatever it might be. And expectations really do play into that because if you have subconscious expectations of I will never get my goal, but you don't even realize you have that expectation running in the background, then it becomes really kind of hard and you have to consciously make the choice of setting goals and then setting them in a smart way. And there's so many books on smart goals and how to set those. And But, you know, the A is attainable. You have to make sure it's attainable. You know, I use the example, if you're making $50,000 a year, are you going to make a million dollars next year? Probably not. And that's a huge jump. But maybe you can make 60000 next year. Maybe you can make 70000 the next year. Maybe you can make 100000 that following year. And then maybe it's 200000 And maybe it's 400000 and then maybe you're making 700,000 and then you can leap up to a million, right? But, you know, you have to give yourself a break and you can't, you're not going to go from 50 to a million 
just like that. Right. <laughs> you gotta now. Some people will. Some. I mean, it happens. People will create some amazing things, and they'll just it'll take off, and it'll be great. And congratulations, awesome. Um, but there are a, a, for most of the population, you have to work in steps and making your way up. So there. Basically, realistic expectations. So have the goal, but get but be sure to keep realistic expectations of achieving the goal. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you if you set that really high, then don't expect to necessarily get it or, you know, change your expectations of the outcome of say, well, if I get half of the way there, it'll be great. Right. In which case, why not set the goal half the way to the one that you just set? You know, so it's, it's this very weird game that you have to play when setting goals to make sure that you're you're stretching, but you're also making it attainable. Yeah, almost like a like a uh, sometimes with my kids, I have to say, well, some is better than none. And, you yeah. know, some is better than nothing. More is a little bit better than that. How do you think we should, based upon that, how do you think we should try to set goals for ourselves with expectations? I mean, you just kind of pretty much laid that out like you did fit within the flow chart that you have created. In a sense, you can think of, you know, there's parts of the flow chart you can absolutely use to ask questions like, is this reasonable? Um, when setting a goal, you're kind of setting an expectation for yourself, but there's expectations on those expectations. Right. <laughs> you know? So expectations are very layered and intermixed and it's it's a crazy net of expectations but you know like you have a general expectation around goals you have an expectation of getting that goal you have you know expectations of timeline etc so when you're setting that goal you can just say you know is it a reasonable goal and you know there's a question have you shared your expectation maybe it's do i need to share this goal with other people to attain it and that's a tricky thing because sometimes sharing your goal can actually hurt you more than help you because some people will want to sabotage you. So you have to be very careful with who you share your goals and dreams with. Do you have with. an example of that? Um, you know, parents can be very loving and caring, but sometimes they look at their children as like, you'll never make it. And it's not that they're saying that out loud. It's that there's some subconscious thing of like, I failed as a parent. My child's never going to make it. And it's just something that they have in them or they always have a negative thought when it comes to everything. Like it's always the worst case scenario. And so if you have a goal of, you know, achieving, you know, getting into a movie, whatever it might be, and your your mom's over there saying, well, you're you're not good enough. You're you got too many, too much weight, you know, whatever. I don't think you're that good of an actor. They may not realize what they're saying, but they're they're kind of like chipping away at your goal and your dream. You know, if you have a coach who's on your side, they're they're totally going after it with you, and you share your goal and dream with them. Well, they're they're going to push you to right. get there. So you know, there's kind of a a difference there. You know, some people have, you you could probably relate. You have that friend who's always just negative about everything, and then you have that other friend that's just like a cheerleader. And but we do, unless you really know that friend, you don't know what's going on subconsciously for them because the really <laughs> negative person be like, I really hope they make it. I really want this for them, even though there's the words out loud aren't aren't supporting mm -hmm. you. The other person is really happy, but they're like they're resentful of you. They they don't like you getting what you want because they never feel like they're getting what they want. Right. Jealousy. Um, and so it, it's a very weird situation. But, you know, you kind of have to protect yourself from outside forces. So if you have a big dream and big goal, maybe don't share it with anybody for a while until it's got some feet running underneath it. And you can actually say, look at what I've done so far. And I'll be like, wait a second. I didn't even think you'd make it that far. Maybe you'll actually make it. But the flowchart does have some good questions that can help kind of guide you with setting goals. Do you think self-esteem plays a factor in our goal setting or our expectations? Absolutely. My 
self-esteem was very low until I started taking improv. And you know, I was doing a lot of personal growth, which was helping, but improv really gets to the next level. And I think what happens, what, what works very well in improv and expectations and everything is when you learn some of this stuff, you'll find that you're living more in the present moment. And there's nothing in the present moment. There's nothing around um, self-esteem, self-worth or anything, because it's just here and now. Um, unfortunately, that here and now is a moment. And so it's very easy for something to creep in and say, oh, Ben, you're not good enough at that. Like you'll get really excited about, ooh, I'm going to go do try this thing because it looks awesome. Oh, yeah, I'm not good enough to try that. <laughs> you know, all the self-talk can come back in and, and ruin the day. But if in that very in that moment, it was like the most exciting thing that you want to do and I can do it. So those expectations when it's I would say that that time when your your inner voice comes in and says you're not good enough for that, that could be considered being upset. Well, now I'm upset because I can't do that. But then you can say, where is that voice coming from? Why do I have that expectation? Is that my mom talking and all the negativity that she had when I was growing up? Is it always worst case scenario? Did something happen with my childhood friends where, you know, I'm not I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy of this thing. Um, and then you really get to explore and say, where's this voice coming from? And why is it stopping me from going after what I want? And I, I again, the more you practice these things the faster you are at catching them and the less time you're spending with being self-conscious and not worthy and all those sort of things. And I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for anybody. Personal growth is not a, it's not a magic wand. There's no quick button. It's you got to practice over and over and over and over and even practice in different ways. You know, not everybody likes Tony Robbins and some people absolutely love Tony Robbins. If you learn from Tony Robbins, great. If you learn from me, great. If you learn from Napoleon Hill, great. Like as long as you're moving forward and want something more and better in your life and you're practicing that, you're going to have more and better. Um, it's just a matter of practice. I, I agree with that. That's a uh, brilliant philosophy, actually. You have mentioned this throughout the, the conversation, uh, being upset. And I know it's in the flowchart. I've seen it in the flowchart and in the book. So help us to understand when you when you use the word upset, I can't because of my hands do quotes, but uh, does We'll say, quote, upset, quote, unquote. Does that entail? Is that anger? Is it depression? Is it uh, frustration? Or is it a combination of any of all of those? It can be any of those, for sure. Because I think it, any of those really kind of lend to us not getting what we say we or think that we want. Depression is, and I'm not a, a psychiatrist or psychologist, so take this with a grain of salt. You know, depression is one of those things <laughs> where if it is chemical in nature and it's you know, something going on, then by all means, take care of it. I do think depression, to some extent, is our inner voice constantly just pushing us down and, and making it hard for us. Um, I definitely have had those times and, and I've been super depressed and I, I went and got help and it, it's possible. But I think if you're able to have some internal dialogue of like, why am I feeling this like, what is going on? Like, are there external factors that are feeding into it? Or am I just down in the dumps for no reason or for some perceived no reason whatsoever? And then you can actually have some other conversations of like, does this even make sense to me? If there's an external voice kind of feeding it, like, where is that coming from? Why am I feeling this way, etc. And so you can kind of work through it a little bit. If you're frustrated with a problem, sometimes you just have to take a step back. And actually, that's a good feed into this is that Einstein said that the only 
way to solve a problem is at a different level than it was created. And I like to interpret that as it's you're not necessarily able to solve an emotional problem emotionally. Sometimes you have to solve it mentally or physically or spiritually. And the flowchart is a mental process for an emotional issue. Going on a run when you're upset or frustrated is a physical way to solve an emotional issue. Most people, if they exercise when they're feeling depressed or angry or whatever, they feel better after exercise. You know, some people, they're upset, they're frustrated, they'll go meditate and they'll feel much better. So again, they're solving it at a different level than the emotional level. And so my flowchart and this whole process is really just a mental process for an emotional issue. And I, I feel like any emotional issue that could be that could be perceived as negative would absolutely fit here. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting, actually. How does um, the technique of improv kind of intertwine with all of that is, as as individuals? Do you we'll talk about your book in a second here, but uh, do you talk do you talk about that in the book, like how we can um, learn improv in order to help uh, kind of uh, uh, manage that? If that's the correct word. In a manner, yeah. So my first book is called Living Unscripted, and that's where I kind of talk about improv and how it works in our everyday lives. And I do touch on expectations a little bit in that book when I talk about the be specific rule. And it was only when I started you know, teaching it and coming up with this, the only reason anybody gets upset piece uh, is when I really decided to explore expectations as a whole. So in my expectations book, I don't necessarily talk about improv as much. In fact, I'm not thinking of a place where I really do. So it's kind of like the living unscripted. If you read that first and then expectations, you could find the parallels very easily. So maybe I'll have to come up with a volume two for expectations. There you go. But yeah, it's a they're very, very intertwined because one of the rules of improv is focus on the present. And when you're focused on the present, there are no future worries or past resentments. And if you don't have those running, then there's, you know, you typically don't have that self-talk mm. and self-doubt and the uh, self-confidence issues by living in the present. And that's one of the things that I loved about doing stage improv is by being up on stage, that is your only option is to be focused on the here right. and now. And that's the rest of the world falls away. All the problems fall away. It's just you, the stage, the people on stage, and you're just, you're focused on each other and listening and uh, supporting each other. And it's just, it's great. And so in a manner of speaking, knowing the rules of improv will certainly help with expectations, avoiding possible moments of being upset or catching them early enough that that you can do something with it before getting upset. That's a very interesting. Yeah, I used to play, they, they teach us in the police academy to play what if games when you're driving around. What if this happens? Hmm. What if that takes place? What if, um, and you kind of run these scenarios through your head on a consistent basis to, so you can kind of be alert and be like, like that in the present. What if this took place right in front of me? What am I going to do? You know, what if the next call is this? How am I going to react? So yeah, that's pretty cool. I may have been doing improv, you know, and I didn't even know it. Possibly. And, and what if is very much a, this could happen in the future. Um, and I think that's good for training because then you're, it's almost like muscle training. It's not, uh, it's not the word I'm looking for. Muscle memory. It, it, it's teaching muscle memory for situations that may arise. And at the same time, you know, that what if could 
could start going the same direction you thought it was and then change direction really fast. Exactly, exactly. And and that's where improv really comes in because you may walk out on stage with somebody else walking out on stage and you have a great idea for the suggestion that was just given and the other person starts with a completely different idea. You now have to get rid of your idea and go with theirs in, you know, half a second. Yeah. You just have to let it go. And so I can see the benefit in what if scenarios at the same time, they can be detrimental because, you know, if you're if you're out there saying, you know, what if this person attacks me and you have that on your mind and then you're in the situation where they might attack, but they might do something else. If your muscle memory is they're going to attack because I've been playing this what if then you're ready for the attack and not for whatever else they're about to do. And so you there may be like a, a preemptive strike. Because you think that you think it's going to go one way, but it's going to go a different way. That, I'm sure it causes some problems out there. I, I don't know for sure, but I'm not the expert on that. I just know that in my life, my mom played the what if game a lot. And in my adult life, every time that I play it, not that I want to, it's like, why isn't this person texting back? Right? What if this? What if that? Like, you know, I, I can come up with thousands of scenarios on why they're not doing something. Um, and I've never been right about it. And so I've I've learned kind of to let go of what oh, ifs and, and whys and futuristic possibilities because we've been right about them. Oh, and adaptation's <laughs> much easier, actually. We had to adapt yes. to this because our first, uh, we set up an interview prior to this and I had a medical issue that I had to go take care of and uh, we had to reschedule. Yeah. So we had to adapt. It kind of works this way. Adaptation is a very good skill for sure. So how important is it? for us to understand that expectations can have a positive or a negative effect on our lives? So a lot of the positive expectations that we have, we don't even recognize as expectations because they don't go against what we want. You know, for example, when you wake up in the morning and the electricity is on, you don't think twice about it. You walk to the refrigerator, open it up and everything's cold. You don't think about it at all. It's when the refrigerator is not running, it's when the electricity is off that we actually recognize that we had this expectation that it was always there and working. And so that's, you know, I actually say in my book that I'm not really going to address positive expectations because they're working for us. They're, they're constantly pick up your, your new cell phone, call somebody you expect it to go through. You expect the internet to be working, you expect the apps to perform as, as you are used to. It's when the system's down that you're like, oh, I needed to make that phone call. How else can I do it? And expectations in general typically have a negative connotation because we don't recognize them until they're not happening the way we want them to happen. And that's the only reason they're conceived as negative when they're just a neutral thing. Really, it's, it's just a thing. It's not positive or negative. It's just we recognize it more often when it's a negative thing happening. As long as you understand that, then you can, you can work through it a little bit easier. Manage, every single time. manage your daily life from that regard. Um, what was your motivation for writing this? It was along the lines of I, d I didn't want to create this problem without a solution. And after creating the flowchart, I kept seeing a lot of depth behind all the no's. Like, have you shared this expectation? No, I haven't shared the expectation. There's a lot of depth in there. And so I felt like it was necessary for me to write more about expectations as a whole. Using the flowchart is kind of the basis of, of everything, but talking about where our expectations come from and why we have them and, and what to do going forward. And so I really explored the depth of all those no's within the flowchart itself. So it could help people, including myself, get uh, happy more often, upset less. And I know I showed, a, I showed a visual over your shoulder earlier in regard to the book. Yeah. The name is What to Expect When Having Expectations. It's, it's all... It, 
It's a catchy title because it's close to as a parent and an older parent. Yes. What to expect when you're expecting. So, exactly. yeah, so kind of, <laughs> yeah, I click. See, I remember what inspires you. My child uh, definitely is one of the big things that inspires me, you know, to be a better human being, to, to strive and do more. Um, and at the same time, I just, I love exploring life and it's amazing what's out there. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to find nowadays with social media and the news, but uh, if you look hard enough, you're going to find some amazing things out there in the world. I, yeah, I agree with that. Since you like to explore the mind so much and, and kind of uh, delve into the depths of it, had you ever thought about becoming a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist from that regard? I've thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a... I'm not sure I want to do the schooling that goes with it, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the pitfall of that, right? <laughs> exactly. My niece is a psychiatrist, and we thought she was never ever going to get out of school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's like, oh yeah, oh you're finally graduating. When did you start? <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about and how they can find it, and as well as your other books, because you've got several other books actually. Yeah. So the easiest way is just go to havingexpectations.com and you'll find you can download the flowchart I've been talking about this whole time. You can download that for free, um, put it up on your refrigerator and your cubicle or your office or wherever. And there's links to the books on there and all kinds of fun stuff. So havingexpectations.com. And, and I'll make sure that those are all in the show notes as well for people so you have an easy way of connecting, you know, connecting with that. And I've downloaded the the flowchart uh, myself. Uh, it's a brilliant piece of work. Um, it's something that uh, people should uh, kind of use it as a guide. If you're getting a little upset or a little frustrated, it'll give you an opportunity to take a breath and uh, kind of sit back for a second and think about the situation instead of just getting upset or just getting angry or just, you know, I look at it from, from those perspectives. So, um, yeah. And the book itself, um, again, you can find it on Amazon. I know you have links on your website as well. Do you <laughs> provide classes? I know for corporations and things like that, do you provide classes for individuals? I have been looking at a possibility of some virtual classes. So, you know, if you download the flowchart, um, I believe you'll end up on the newsletter list, which I don't send out very many. <laughs> uh, but if I do come up with one, I will definitely share it and put it out there for everyone. So. Positive thing. This is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom or something you'd like to share with the with the rest of the world? Yeah, I just want everybody to know that it's okay to be upset. I know society says don't do it. Don't be upset. Chill out. You know, whatever else they say. Um it's okay as long as you don't stay there. As long as you recognize it as a choice to do something different, then I think it's perfectly okay. And yeah, just remember it as as a trigger point for something better. Positive thing. Ben, thank you very much for uh, sharing your wisdom with me. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you sharing what you've learned. You've, you're vibrant. The people who are going to listen to this, you've had a smile on your face from the whole time that we've uh, been here. Uh, you glow with, uh, with uh, positivity. So thank you very much. Thank you. This is one more thing before you go. Thank you very much for listening to us. Don't forget to download our free app in the uh, iTunes Store and our Google Play. And uh, be sure to check us out on any one of your favorite listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, uh, all anything that you want to listen to your podcast on, we're available on. Again, thank you very much for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. 
If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010. All rights reserved.